Murder in the North, Episode 8, Heidi, 1979. When a child goes missing, it's crucial that the police investigate the disappearance as quickly as possible. Did the child run away? Lose track of time? Are they avoiding home after a bad school report or something similar? Or maybe something more sinister has happened. It's crucial that the child is found as quickly as possible. The more time that passes, the greater the risk to their safety. The more hours or even days go by, the harder it will be to secure evidence and to find credible witnesses who can help find the missing person. In the 1979 case of Heidi, the child isn't found and can't be reunited with her mother. The police begin to assume that the girl has become the victim of a violent crime. You're listening to Murder in the North, a podcast about some of the most shocking murder cases in Scandinavia. Our account of these cases is based on sources in the public domain, including interviews, press releases and court proceedings. Some narrative details were seen as irrelevant to the plot and therefore left out. This podcast series contains scenes of violence that some listeners may find distressing. You're listening to a true story, as researched by Vivian Isabella Lomhorsch-Peterson and Barbara Gearholf-Nilholm, and told by me, Jenna Sharp. She feels like a bad mother, afraid that people will blame her for not looking after her daughter properly. That's why Heidi's mother is reluctant to call the police, even though the girl has been missing for several hours. Neither the neighbours nor her friends know where she is. Heidi is the type of girl who'll happily spend a couple of hours exploring the basement. Sometimes she'd pay a surprise visit to one of the other residents in the block of flats, perhaps when she's feeling peckish, wanting a snack. She's curious and very trusting. Some neighbours think she's a bit pushy, but her next-door neighbour, Keld, loves it when she drops by. Heidi visits him a lot. He's like a grandfather to her. But this Sunday, Keld can't help Heidi's mother either. He hasn't seen her today. He can hear the concern in Heidi's mother's voice, and it's making him worried too. It's nearly eight in the evening, dark and pretty cold outside, and Heidi is only four years old. That afternoon, Heidi had been playing all by herself in the sand pit in the courtyard. Her mother looked in on her every now and then, but when she wanted to call her little girl in for dinner at a quarter to six, she was nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, two hours have passed, and nobody has seen her or knows where she might be. When Keld suggests they contact the police, Heidi's mother feels uncomfortable. She's afraid that people will think she's a bad mother for having allowed her daughter to play in the garden unsupervised. She's bound to reappear, she says. 
but Keld decides to phone the police in Colding, telling them that a four-year-old girl from the block of flats on Normarksveg hasn't come home. It's Palm Sunday, 1979, and the Easter holidays have just started in Denmark. The whole world is anxious about the accident at the nuclear reactor on Three Mile Island in the US. The fall of the Shah and the return of Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran are also making the headlines. And the national news is dominated by the Gladsaxe bomber, the man who terrorized people in and around Copenhagen with pipe bombs for two years, has just been sentenced to five years in prison. But it won't be long before the only news in Kolding, the capital of the province of southern Jutland, will be about Heidi, the missing four-year-old. As soon as they receive Keld's report on Sunday evening, the police in Kolding spring into action. The flats on Normarksveg are on the northern edge of town, not far from the new hospital. The police search the area with dogs and even deploy a helicopter. It's cold and dark, and there are plenty of places where an inquisitive and lively four-year-old girl might have got lost. During the night, the search area is extended to include nearby lakes and ditches, but without success. By morning, there's still no trace of Heidi. Her mother and stepfather confirm that they last spoke with Heidi around four in the afternoon. She came up to the flat briefly before running back down to the sandpit. Heidi is wearing a green coat with black fur trim, a red stripy jumper, blue jeans and black clogs. She also wears glasses and small heart-shaped gold earrings. On Monday morning, the police increase their search radius yet again. The community help comb through a woodland area and a few hillocks close to where the local children like to play. Multiple witnesses tell the police about hearing a car break with screeching tires on Sunday. Some also claim to have heard a dull thud. But if Heidi was the victim of a collision, then why wasn't she found at the scene? At home, Heidi's mother hears the reports on the radio about her missing daughter. She's aware that Heidi may have been an easy target for a paedophile, because the girl is not afraid of strangers. If a friendly grown-up were to ask her to get into a car, she'd do so without hesitation. The police believe there's a good chance that it was an accident, they're convinced that Heidi is still out there somewhere, and so they keep increasing their search radius. But with each hour that passes, hopes of finding the girl alive fade. After a few days, a unit of the National Police of Denmark is dispatched from Copenhagen to assist their colleagues in Kolding. By Wednesday, 100 officers are working on the case. The police are supported by the fire brigade and by military divers, who search the murky water of Marienland Lake on the other side of the hospital, some three kilometers from Heidi's home. The grounds of the waste incineration plant are also searched to make sure that the girl didn't slip in unseen. 
Small lakes and ponds are drained, hillocks ploughed up, and woods combed again with dogs. Residents of adjacent neighbourhoods are asked to check their gardens and sheds for Heidi. Locals help where they can, but none of their tips help the police with their investigation. Meanwhile, officers interview possible witnesses in the blocks of flats on Normarksvedge. Hundreds of motorists, who regularly drive along this road, are asked if they saw something on Palm Sunday, the day Heidi went missing. But Heidi is nowhere to be found. It's becoming increasingly unlikely that she was involved in an accident. If she'd drowned or been injured some other way, she'd have been located by now. It looks like she's the victim of foul play. The last hope of the police was Heidi kidnapped. So reads the headline on the front page of newspaper Colding Fokieblood, published less than a week after the girl goes missing. There's some speculation that the young girl may have been kidnapped by a childless person who desires to have children of their own but is unable to. It wouldn't be the first time something like this has happened. And that would be the best-case scenario. The alternatives are much more gruesome and all end in Heidi's death. Together with their national colleagues, detectives with the Colding Police Force decide to give their investigation a fresh impetus. They go back to the witnesses they spoke to in the early days of the investigation, but this time round, they're not looking for the victim, but for a perpetrator, and that changes the focus of the conversations. New questions lead to new answers. Now that more time has passed, the interviewees remember far fewer details. Witnesses appear to be less certain, or at least more circumspect, while talking about a potential homicide. Ultimately, even the police can't be sure who did or didn't see the girl on the day of her disappearance. Even neighbor Keld, who phoned the police that Sunday, can't really help them. He last saw Heidi on the day before she went missing. Keld's brother and sister-in-law had come over, and Heidi had wanted to join them on a family visit in southern Jutland. She'd spent the whole morning with them while they were packing their bags, and when Keld invited Heidi to come along, her mother agreed. But at the last moment, Keld changed his mind. He didn't want to take the car, and so Heidi had to stay home. Keld is haunted by the thought that if he and Heidi had gone to see his family in southern Jutland that Saturday, the girl wouldn't have been away from Normarksvedge and far from her kidnapper's hands. Keld confirms that he last saw Heidi on Saturday afternoon. Heidi's stepfather is in the best position to help the police with their reconstruction of that fateful Sunday. In the morning, he and Heidi made their way to Colding Stadium to collect his bike from the underground bike shed. He left it there the previous day because he had to work at the stadium. The stepfather works for the council 
and is responsible for rebuilding the athletics track. He states that he walked to the stadium with Heidi and then cycled home with his stepdaughter on the back of his bike. They had a little accident on the way when he lost his balance and Heidi fell off the bike, but luckily she wasn't hurt. They had a bite to eat when they got home, and after an afternoon nap, Heidi went and played in the sand pit at around 3pm. About an hour later, she briefly turned up in the kitchen to drink a glass of water, her stepfather explains, just like her mother said earlier. Heidi headed back down around four o'clock, and that's the last they saw of the girl. In an attempt to attract other witnesses, the investigators help Heidi's stepfather reenact their journey to and from Colding Stadium. Together with a girl of Heidi's age, they walk the exact same route, both addressed like they were on the day in question. The investigative team has brought a photographer along and the images are published in all the local papers in the hopes of refreshing people's memories. But no witnesses come forward, not a single one. Since Heidi's disappearance, the police have received more than 300 tips and gathered more than 500 statements, but there's still no trace of the girl. It seems unlikely that nobody spotted Heidi and her stepfather that Sunday, either on foot on the way out or together on the bike on the way back. When the detectives finally conclude their interviews with the potential witnesses in the block of flats, something extraordinary dawns on them. It would appear that nobody saw Heidi and her stepfather walking or cycling that morning just as nobody saw her play in the sandpit in the courtyard later that day. A detective with the National Police is the first to suggest that perhaps they were too quick to rule out any involvement on Heidi's mother's part. While it may be difficult to confront the mother of a missing child with such dark suspicions, you have to at least consider that maybe her statement or that of the stepfather, doesn't add up. They're both summoned to the police station for another interview. This time, they're separated and asked for another detailed account of what they remember about the day Heidi disappeared. Both stick to their earlier versions of events, the trip to the stadium, lunch and the subsequent nap the sandpit and the glass of water in the kitchen around four o'clock. But once the statement has been recorded, read out and signed by Heidi's mother, one of the detectives voices his suspicions. Something about her testimony just doesn't add up. After two months, there's one thing that keeps jumping out at the investigative team, the parents' story. They're withholding information. Heidi's mother goes very pale. She faints. And when she comes round again, she's sick. She admits that she's been lying from the start. The truth is that she didn't see Heidi at all that Sunday. After going into town with a friend on Saturday night, she didn't get back until the early hours. 
She went straight to bed and slept all day. She now tells the investigators. She has no idea where Heidi was that Sunday, or what exactly she did. It was her husband, Heidi's stepfather, who told her that Heidi had been playing in the sand pit and that she'd come up briefly for a glass of water. The mother confirmed it for fear of being seen as a bad mother because she'd allowed her daughter to play unsupervised. This means there's only one person who really knows how Heidi spent her Sunday, her stepfather. But the stepfather sticks to his earlier accounts, whatever his wife is saying. After all, he was the one who was awake, whereas the mother spent all those hours asleep. On Tuesday the 12th of June, two months after Heidi's disappearance, the stepfather is arrested. Heidi still hasn't been found, but he's charged with murder. Heidi's mother is taken into custody as well, accused of complicity. Both maintain their innocence. The preliminary hearing lasts no less than 36 hours. The courtroom is jam-packed with journalists and curious people who have closely followed the chilling case of the missing girl for the past two months. But despite the public anger, the lies and the legitimate suspicions, the judge believes there's insufficient evidence to keep the parents behind bars. If the mother and stepfather are to be accused of the child's murder, there must be solid evidence to back up the suspicions. But the police have no such evidence, and so the judge rules that both can go free. Despite the release, the public prosecutor upholds the charge against the stepfather. There's still no trace of Heidi, and the person who kidnapped or even murdered her remains at large. The suspicions against the stepfather throw a whole new light on his work at Colding Stadium. He was involved in the excavation of the old athletics track and the construction of a new one. He himself said that on the day of Heidi's disappearance, the two of them were at the stadium. The police have the new track dug up, but Heidi isn't found. The National Police Detectives help their colleagues in Colding for another five months. But at the end of August 1979, the case is closed, and the public prosecutor drops the charges against Heidi's stepfather. Not long after, Heidi's mother and stepfather split up. Six years later, in 1985, he appears in court on child abuse charges. The old suspicions are back with a vengeance, and Heidi's case hits the headlines again. After divorcing Heidi's mother, the stepfather finds a new girlfriend. This woman also has a child from an earlier relationship, and it's not long before the couple have a son together. When the baby is four months old, He's admitted to Colding Hospital with a fractured skull. The infant is left with permanent brain damage. 
Heidi's stepfather is arrested and charged with aggravated assault. And this time, there is evidence. In his still short life, the little boy has been admitted to hospital with broken ribs and head injuries on several occasions. The older child also shows signs of physical violence. The man who was once Heidi's stepfather is sentenced to one year and four months in prison for harming the two children. Heidi is never found, and to this day, her disappearance has never been solved. From Podimo, this is Murder in the North. A new episode every week, wherever you get podcasts. And for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts.